Yes! Good morning, welcome to the English Sunday School class of Yongsan Baptist Church here in Seoul, Republic of Korea. Today is 31 July 2021. <laughs> and we are going to continue our study of biblical creation. Amen. Last week, we turned our attention to animal and plant cohorts, and we learned some interesting facts about mammal and bird pollinators. Can anyone remember one of those animals that we discussed last week? Hummingbirds. Hummingbirds, great. That was a good one. I learned something new this week about hummingbirds after I already did lesson one last week about hummingbirds. Their eyes are designed to see colors that we can't imagine. They see a broader, um, they see broader section of the of the light spectrum outside of our visible spectrum of light. So their visual acuity is more precise and broader, so they can see things we can't see. Great. But what was my favorite? Does anybody remember my favorite? Wasn't it the bat? Nope. No. The. Nope. What? The little. The, the, the little yeah, marsupial. That's right. Three letters. Three letters. Monito del monte. Come on. He's singly, he is, and she, they are single-handedly responsible for the biodiversity of the Patagonia rainforest. Come on, it's great. <laughs> this week and next week, we're going to continue looking at symbiosis and God's amazing design, not just with cohorts, but to a bigger extent with communities. I was going to show a video about communities, but I'm going to do that next week since we're running low on time. Just remember the word communities. It's bigger than cohorts, okay? So you have symbiotic relationships, one animal to another animal, then you have the cohorts where it's multiple species, then you have communities where it's even bigger than that as we build back up toward ecosystems, which was the first thing we talked about. Today, we're going to go to the ant. We'll focus on one mighty community, and if we heed the Bible's directive in Proverbs 6 and Proverbs 30, 25 to consider the ant, there are many, many things that we can learn from them. There are more things than what I'm going to be able to tell you today, but I'm going to try to tell you a lot. A lot. Ants are one of the most abundant creatures on Earth. Get it? For every person walking around, there are about 16 million ants. There are 8,000 species living all over the world. And although they generally prefer warmer climates, these numbers make them one of the greatest examples of community in existence. I'll take that away for you. Thank you. Ants live eight to ten weeks. That's their full life cycle. And it's a four-stage life cycle of egg to larva to pupae to ant or adult, and uh, there are worker ants, male and female ants, females and queens lay more eggs, and thus the cycle continues. The workers are sterile females, and they do the labor of the nest. The larger ones, the soldiers, are usually males and defend the colony. And at a certain time of the year, many species will produce both winged males and winged females, or queens, that will fly up into the air, mate, the male dies, hey, thank you, that's so cool. Good point. They fly up in the air and mate. The male dies, because that's all he's good for. The queen goes off and establishes a new nest and spends the rest of her life laying eggs. So much fun. 
The social behavior of ants is among the most complex in the insect world. They communicate by touch and smell, constantly touching each other to pass on their nest over and communicate that they are friendly and not foes. And they can sense vibrations in the ground and pressure changes in the air. But recently, we've learned, and I mean, just within the last couple of years, scientists have learned that they can pick up sound waves from uh, other ants when they get close to them. So we know that they don't respond at all to sound waves from humans. Loud noises, soft noises, there's no response. But sound waves um, from other ants, apparently they have small hairs that can pick that up. They don't have ears, just so you're tracking. So all ants have amazing design features. And they have two sets of jaws. Do you know that? Two sets of jaws. So the outer jaw is for carrying and for digging. And the inner pair is for chewing. Some ants can lift food items, be they leaves, grains, or other insects, that are up to seven times as heavy as their body weight. Which I was that strong. All ants play an important role in the economy of a fallen world. Yes, as a reminder, as beautiful as this world is, it is fallen. It's not what it was meant to be at the beginning. They control the population of a number of other species. Ants can eat animals, plants, seeds, and uh, dead organic material that they then recycle. Most ant species live in the soil, but some, like carpenter ants, live in wood. And I don't know if you know this, they don't actually eat the wood. They just live in it. Ants are, unlike termites, which actually process the wood. So, ants are proficient hunters and are relentless in their search for nests, food, and even slaves. We're going to skip over that category this week, but lots of information there. They can mount a coordinated raid on an enemy colony and are quick to defend their nest against intruders, especially in the case of fire ants. When ants travel to and from a food source, pay attention, this is really cool, each insect in a colony seems to have its own agenda. Yet, the group appears to be highly organized. This organization is not achieved under supervision. There's no ruler out there telling them what to do, but through the interaction among individuals that make up the collective. Ants form and maintain a line to their food source by laying down a trail of pheromone, which is a chemical that other members of the same species are very sensitive to. <clears throat> they deposit a certain amount of pheromone while walking, and each ant prefers to follow a direction that is rich in pheromone. So this enables the ant colony to quickly find the shortest route to the food source. The first ants to return should normally be those that took the shortest route. So it would be the first route to be doubly marked by pheromone and thus the strongest, and that's where everybody will go. And then the more ants that take that route, the more times it's doubly marked, and the stronger it is to the point that none of the other trails will be taken. But, you say, because I heard you say it. What if the ants happen to come back from the longer route first because they left early? Wouldn't that confuse them because then it would be double marked? I'm glad you asked. I have an answer for that. <laughs> Among the many species of ants, biologists have identified 40 different glands that produce varying pheromones for varying purposes that have varying rates of decay or evaporation. Ah, see that? The ants choose which pheromone to lay down when they're walking the path based off of what need is there. 
So, if they're laying down this trail for recon mission, they can lay down the chemical trail that evaporates a little more quickly so that it doesn't run the risk of uh, being the strongest compared to a shorter Dublin Park trail. And that fixes the problem before it arises, which, by the way, as a separate point here, is a strong point of evidence for creation and a huge burden for evolution that biologically the solution for a problem was present before the problem arose instead of it having to adapt after the problem arises because that is key to survivability of an individual organism which is key to the survivability of an entire species. Okay? If the individual organism can't solve the problem, that organism dies and thus can't adapt to solve the problem in the next generation. It's a big hole in the evolutionary theory that they don't want to talk about. The elephant in the room, as it were. But we'll get to that much, many more times throughout this study, I promise. Studying this uncanny skill of ants going to the ant, considering the ant, has enabled modern researchers to create software agents capable of solving complex information technology problems, such as rerouting traffic in busy network communications nodes. They use the example of the ant and these chemical trails to figure that out. This is yet another way that we are still, in the 21st century, learning lessons that God laid down in the genetic code over 6,000 years ago at the beginning of the world. It's remarkable. So, let's look at this poster that you have in your notes. It's probably super small, so I'm going to read this stuff to you. <laughs> I tried reading that even with It's super small. Even in PDF, it's super small. So, the first one we're going to look at is the weaver ant. The weaver ant lives in the tropical forests of Africa and India. They make their nests in the top of trees by sewing large leaves together. They line up, pull two leaves together side by side, and they stitch those leaves together using the silk-like substance that's produced by their larvae. So the larvae pop out of the egg and immediately start producing silk that the adults can then harvest from the larvae to use to stitch together these leaves. Remarkable community of effort. Then there are Darth Vader ants. <laughs> and they, they get that name because of the way they look. But they're also, if you want to be boring, they're called glider ants. Because when they fall off of a tree branch, they can glide back to the, the, the trunk of the tree without falling straight to the ground. Remarkable. Army ants, right here, if you've ever seen this crazy big outer mandible ant, they're pretty, pretty scary looking. Intimidating, not to be confused with navy ants, by the way. <clears throat> Do not have permanent nests, but they have short-term campsites no lie, called bivouacs. <laughs> they are often on the move and sometimes across long distances of land in enormous swarms, eating every small animal and insect that's in their path. Army ants. Then you have ghost ants because their body is translucent. You can see through some of it. They're eevee and they love sweets. And they're really, really hard to get out of your kitchen. <laughs> Crazy ants, but if you've seen these before, get their name because they are very, very, they're also super small ants, but they get their name because they run around like mad in these erratic patterns. They don't, 
they don't march two by two like the song tells them to. Right? Do you know that song, Jim? The ants go marching two by two, hurrah, hurrah. You ever heard that? Okay. They don't, they don't, they've never heard it either, so they just go crazy. Okay, then we have fire ants, everybody's best friend. Fire ants um, are lively and sometimes downright mean. They swarm and bite any animal or person that they think, it's all based on perception, might be endangering their nest. And the bite does feel like fire, thus the name fire ant. Then the last one here is the honeypot ant. Don't know if you've ever seen one of those before in pictures or anything. This is this is the getting the raw end of the deal. Because random honeypot ants get gorged with nectar and water by their friends until their abdomen swells up so much they can hardly move. And then when their friends go at work and are parched, they come back and tap their companions for nourishment. <laughs> It's so weird. <laughs> and don't ask me to explain why. <laughs> it's just, this is part of, you know, God's amazing diversity. Taking one for the team. That's right. There's a lesson in there somewhere. You want to go for a bike ride? I'll be your camelback. <laughs> it's so weird. <laughs> so, let's move on to the next thing. Uh, we're going to talk about skills of ants. They are farmers. Some ants have mutually beneficial symbiotic relationships with other insects and in some cases with fungi. But the ants apply a high level of industry to their side of the relationship. One example of this mutualism occurs with aphids or plant lice. Aphids are horrible if you're trying to grow a garden or house plants or anything like that. You want to get rid of them. But for these guys, it's a great relationship. The, they're a sap-sucking insect that produces a sweet sticky substance known as honeydew, and the ants love honeydew. Apparently, to ensure that they remain well supplied in honeydew, cornfield ants will farm aphids. In the case of the corn root aphid, the cornfield ant will collect the aphid eggs in the autumn, will protect them in their own nests over the winter, and then in the spring, they will carry the young to smart weed and grass roots, where they'll obtain nourishment. Then these young nymphs will grow to become wingless females that can produce live young without mating, another weird cycle. These stem mothers, as they're called, the aphids that are wingless females, the stem mothers raise two or three generations on this host plant, the smart weed or the grass roots, after which the ants return to carry those aphids to young corn roots where the aphids then breed another 10 to 20 generations before they die. Under the care of the ants, the aphids thrive. The ants gain the honeydew and the aphids get protectors and chauffeurs. But the ants are definitely in control. Occasionally, when a winged female is hatched, she'll decide, I'm done with this. She tries to fly off and you know go somewhere else to another host plant, but the ants catch her and say, not so fast, and go put her back into their nest so she can't get away. Yeah, they're farmers, but they're also gardeners. To other ants, fungi are the luscious crop and life-sustaining food. So leafcutter ants, for example, need fungus because they can't digest the leaves by themselves. So they go remove the leaves 
and carry them back to their nests and chew them up and turn them into fertilizer for the fungus. And then the fungus produces protein and sugar, which the ants eat. Community involvement. Ants produce fertilizer to feed the fungus, and the fungus grows food for the ants. They, the leafcutter ants live in highly organized societies with many kinds of workers. <clears throat> they build elaborate gardens with chambers, and each of these chambers has massive clumps of nearly pure fungus. Each worker has just the right size and equipment to do the job that's assigned to it. The largest are the, the soldiers <clears throat> that protect the colony, and then there are um, Oh yeah, their large mandibles on the soldier ants can actually cut through leather and human skin. Beware. They can get up to an inch long. 25 millimeters, if that's true, if you're on the metric system. Then, there are several different kinds of worker ants called media, this size and this size, that perform different functions. They harvest the leaves, and then the larger media ants will cut big leaves and pass them, it's the smaller pieces, to the smaller media ants and it's like an assembly line as they move it down toward being fertilizer. Another kind of worker tends to the white fluffy fungal gardens and then you have the gardener ant which is the littlest guy which can be 300 times smaller than the soldier ant and yet same DNA, same type of ant, right? All of this is, is already engineered into the biodiversity of the DNA of the leafcutter ant. By God, not chance. Okay. The they yeah super little dudes, but these guys are for weeding. So in the little fungal gardens, they'll they, they bob and weave in between there and get, take out weeds and other kind of stuff. So within these ant gardens, there's another aggressive fungus called the Escavopsis fungus, and if uncontained, this particular fungus, which for some weird reason only thrives in ant colonies. You don't see it anywhere else. It's only in ant colonies, but if it was left uncontained, would wipe out the entire colony. Ants, fungus, all of it. So, how does God get around that? To protect the farm, the ants release an antibiotic, and they rub it on the fungus. <laughs> For real. However, the ants don't produce the antibiotics. Within small sections of their body called crypts, they house bacteria on in their bodies and they feed these bacteria from glands in their bodies and the bacteria produce the antibiotics that then are excreted that the ants can then take and rub on the fungus to keep the fungus at right at just at the right level of growth so that it doesn't take over the entire colony. The ants, yeah, I mean that's that's nuts. The, the whole amazing relationship befuddles evolutionary biologists, obviously, because it befuddles us too. <laughs> but if Escavopsis has been around for over 50 million years, how come it hasn't developed a resistance to the antibiotic? Because we have many, many bacteria that have developed resistance to our antibiotics that doctors only developed 70 years ago. Alright, evolution, answer the question. No? I'll wait. So what are we supposed to learn from these symbiotic communities? As we saw in the last two lessons, these are weaver ants, by the way. Weaving. Um, as we saw in the last two lessons, creatures are not meant to live alone. 
We need each other, but most of all, we need the author of life, our creator and redeemer, Christ Jesus, who has left us reminders like this all throughout creation about his creative, his creativity, his character, and his calling on our lives. And it's all around us, even in our own backyard, if we have one. Okay. 28th floor, you don't really have a backyard. <laughs> so, after all this talk of ants, I want to boil it down into five um, general lessons that we can learn from them. I think I, I wrote four and then gave you five. Because <laughs> I came up with a fifth one that didn't change the word four to five. That's my fault. But first, the ant is industrious. It knows its job, and it does it working quietly and without show until the work is done. Could all be a little more industrious. It's persistent, sticking to a job until completion, whether that's building a nest, gathering food, protecting its family, right? It's reliable, and it doesn't need anyone watching over its shoulder to make sure it gets its job done. It's cooperative, working with others in the community to get big jobs done. And if you know anything about ants, they're selfless because they give up themselves for the good of the colony, even if it costs the individual its life. So we could probably, at least in these ways, be a little more like ants. Mm -hmm. We made it, we'll get into the service, and uh, next week we'll move on from ants to the aquatic environment for symbiosis and communities, and we'll get to see the actual video on communities. Now, I'm excited for the, the things that are going to come out then. But remember, like Solomon said, and uh, forget the name of who it was that wrote Psalm, or uh, Proverbs 30, declares himself in the first verse. But both of those smart guys said, hey, you can learn some things from the end. You should learn some things from the end. Yeah. All right, let's pray. Lord, we thank you for all that you've given us. We thank you for your creation.